Thanks, Paige. Thanks, Lisa. What a great song as we turn our hearts to looking at Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 29. I encourage you to turn to Deuteronomy 29, looking at Deuteronomy 29 and 30 as well. Uh, very grateful to God for our journey through the book of the Pentateuch, or through the, through the Pentateuch and through the book of Deuteronomy, the last book in those first five books of the Bible. And we've been kind of going through, and we've seen that Moses has three messages that he gives to the people, three kind of major messages. And as we looked at the second major message, we talked about what it looks like to live as God's treasured people and what it looked like for them and what it looks like for us. And now we're kind of turning our attention to this final message that Moses gives his people. And we're going to look at these two chapters and see what repentance and restoration to God look like, and hope this is encouraging to you this morning as we look at this. And we're going to read from the end of chapter 29 and then a little bit of the beginning of chapter 30. And what Moses has been describing is the, the discipline, the separation from God that is going to take place due to their sin and how that, that curse will come upon them, the curse that had been promised for disobedience. And then we're going to see what restoration looks like. So if you'd stand with me in honor of God, if you're able to, uh, this morning, Deuteronomy 29, and we're looking at the discipline that happens and how they're going to, the nations are going to look at them. And then we come to verse 24 of Deuteronomy 29. It says this, as the nations see what God has done to them, all the nations will say, why has the Lord done thus to this land? What caused the heat of this great anger? Then people will say it is because they abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt and went and served other gods and worshiped them, gods whom they had not known and whom he had not allotted to them. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against this land, bringing upon it all the curses written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and fury and great wrath and cast them into another land as they are this day. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you. And he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you, and you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I command you today. 
The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers when you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in the book of the law, this book of the law, when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You may be seated. May God bless us through the reading of his word this morning. And Father, we ask for your grace upon us. We ask by your grace we'd experience the joy of repentance and restoration to you. We pray this uh, in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All of us have experienced looking around us and, and having to face the consequences of our sin. It's early 2013, I and the family went to the home of another family, and we had dinner, and it was just a very lovely evening. They were very gracious, and we were kind of talking about a place that they had visited that we were going to visit, and we just had a, a great time. And I remember at one point in the evening, maybe we were kind of getting ready to leave, walking through the, the home to the front door, and just looking around, thinking, my, my this, is a, this is a really lovely home, very nice home. And then about 10 months later, I was standing in that exact same spot and looking around me, and there was no more home. The, the tornado had, had come through, the, the tornado came through right where their, their home was, and, and the tornado lifted up their home, blew it into a billion pieces, and then deposited it about 10 feet away. So like the whole house, blow up and then moved and I was thinking about that imagery this, this last week as I was thinking about sin and about repentance. And I was thinking about sin in my, my own life. I had lost my temper with one of my children and, and I had to ask for forgiveness. And forgiveness was graciously received. But there was just a, a period of time there for a day or so where I was just, just mourning as I thought, you know, what have I done to my relationship with this kid who I love so much by losing my temper and and then I, I thought about, what does this mean about my relationship with God? And I was, I was just in a lot of sorrow as I thought about my sin. And not only as I thought about my sin in relationship to this, this child whom I had wronged through my anger, but also just thinking about my relationship with my Heavenly Father. And sometimes, maybe you feel that way as well. You think, okay, um, I, I've, I've sinned and I, I feel bad about it, and yet the consequences of my sin. It feels like my, my life has been lifted up, blown into a billion pieces and, and moved to the side. And now, now, what am I, now what am I supposed to do? What does this mean about my relationship with God? And, and this morning, many of us feel separated from God, perhaps. If I were to ask you about your relationship with God, you would say, you know, um, I want to have a good relationship with God, but I, I, I'm kind of aware of my sin this morning. And, and you know, I when I think about my relationship with God and, and how we're not as close as I would desire to be, I think about some, some sin. I, I think about how I've struggled with anger and, and maybe my relationship with God is not the way that it should be because of, of my struggle with anger. Or maybe this morning you think about your struggle with, with lust and, you, boy, I know this is not how God would desire me to live and how he desire me to think and yet um, I have, and so that relationship with God is, is not the way it should be. There's separation between us, or maybe it's materialism, or maybe you've struggled with pride, and whatever it is, there's, there's some sort of aspect of sin in your life that you'd say, 
I'm not where I need to be in my relationship with God. Sin has, I'm a believer, but sin has separated me from God. And and I don't know if I can ever get back to that that closeness of relationship with God that I had at, at one point. I want to offer some hope to you this morning from God's Word, right? What we see in Scripture is that God desires to be in relationship with you. In fact, God desires to be in a a close relationship with you. You you look in here at at what's happening in in this passage, and and we see that that God has been separated from his people, and yet there there is no place that his people can travel in which he is not going to be in relationship with him. It says in verse 4 of chapter 30, if, if you're cast to the uttermost parts of heaven, even from there, the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you. In other words, there's, there's no place in the universe that your sin can take you, that God cannot find you and restore you to relationship with him. That is an incredibly encouraging truth, I think, from the text this morning. In fact, here's kind of the main idea that I want us to, to grapple with as we think through this, this passage. Repentance is painful yet joyful, right? Repentance is painful yet joyful, and it's the only way to experience the fullness of a restored relationship with God. Repentance is painful yet joyful. And, and what do we mean by repentance? Oftentimes, we misunderstand what that word means, and so we're going to kind of try to talk through that this morning. Sometimes people think of repentance as some sort of act. They think of, of penance. So I'm going to repent, and so I'm going to do these, these five things. They have a very legalistic, works-based understanding of repentance. I, I've struggled with, with lust, and so I'm going to do these five things to kind of show that I'm sorry and and to change. And once I do these five things, then I'll have been repentant. And and that's kind of legalistic framework that some people approach repentance with. Other people say, well, uh, repentance is is just me me being sorry about something. They have a very half-hearted approach to repentance. I I live my day and I do some bad things. At the end of the day, I repent. Dear God, Sorry for the sin that I committed today. Amen, right? I repented. But what we're going to see as we go through this, this text, that repentance is, is not some legalistic work we do, and it's more than just kind of mumbling some words, I'm sorry. Repentance is a grace of God. Repentance is a means that God gives us, a grace that God gives us that allows our relationship to be restored. You see, just like I enter, how, how do I enter into a relationship with God? I enter into a relationship with God by, by faith, right? I, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? Well, it means that I'm, I'm turning from sin and I'm trusting in Jesus. There's kind of two sides of the coin there. I'm, I'm turning from sin and that's, that's repentance. I, I repent of my sins. I, I recognize that I'm walking a journey that's going to end in disaster. And so I, I repent of my sins and I, I turn to, to Jesus. I trust in him alone for my salvation. That's not a work. It's not, not something I'm trying to, to do to earn my salvation. It's, it's, it's repentance as I place my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, recognizing that only he can save me. I, I cling to him. I turn from sin. I cling to him. Now, here's what I want you to understand with me this morning. Just like I don't just begin my Christian life by placing my faith in Jesus and then kind of live the rest of my life without faith, 
in, in the same way, I don't begin my life of faith in Jesus Christ with repentance and then don't need to repent anymore. Just as I come into relationship with God through faith and then I continue to walk by faith, I, I enter my relationship with God through repentance and then I, I continue to live a life of repentant, humble faith before God. And hopefully this morning, this will, this will help us as we think through what repentance looks like in our own life because I would imagine that some of you are in a position this morning where there's separation in your relationship with God. And the reason that separation with God exists is because you haven't honestly dealt with that sin before God. There hasn't been true repentance in your heart. You're a believer. God is your heavenly father. You're, you are looking forward to heaven and eternity with him. And yet right, right now there is separation because you haven't availed yourself of the means of grace that God provides you in repentance. You see, repentance is not, again, it's not some work we do. It's God's grace. And you say, well, why would God make us repent? God gives us the grace of repentance, not because he's trying to, to, to make us um, feel bad about what we've done. And once you've felt bad enough, then we'll restore relationship. No, here's why God provides repentance for us. God allows us to see the, the wickedness of sin so that we can see the value of his son, Jesus Christ. You see, through repentance, we are consciously made aware of our sin, and we consciously acknowledge that that sin is worthless, and we consciously acknowledge the supreme worthiness of our God and Savior, right? That's why God gives us the grace of repentance. Let's, let's, I'm, I'm, I'm getting into the sermon. Let me, that's our introduction, and we're already short on time because we've had a busy morning. Here's some things to understand about God's grace and repentance, kind of three aspects of availing ourselves of the grace of God through repentance. Here's the first thing. Number one, we must mourn the separation from God that is caused by our sin. You say, okay, how do I avail myself of this, this grace that God provides us in repentance? Number one, we must mourn the separation from God that is caused by our sin. Look at chapter 29 here, and, and we'll, we'll kind of go into the, the very beginning of, of what Moses says. He's, he's talking to the people. And remember, chapters 27 and 28, we looked at, them, looked at those chapters some weeks ago and talked about blessing and, and curses. And then you come to chapter 28, and we have Moses's final major sermon beginning. And Moses recognizes as he begins that the people have a heart problem. He says, he talks about the things that God has done, and he says in verse 4, but to this day the Lord has not given you a heart, has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. So there's still this, this heart condition, and on the basis of this heart condition that the people of Israel have, Moses is pessimistic as he thinks about their past. So this is what happened in the past, and you didn't worship God rightly. He's pessimistic as he thinks about their present. Right now, you still don't have the heart that you need. And he's pessimistic as he thinks about the future, uh, he, the, the, the near future, the short-term future. He says, I don't have confidence that you aren't going to struggle with sin on the basis of where you are with your heart. He calls them in these verses in chapter 29 to restore their relationship with God. You look at 
verses 10 through 15, and he's talking about that. He says, look, the reason that we're here right now is to renew this covenant, to say, okay, here's who God is, here's who we are, we're his people, because I want you to, I want you to restore that relationship, but Moses is pessimistic that they're going to be able to do it today. He's uh, pessimistic that they were able to do it in the past. He's pessimistic that they're going to be able to do it even in, in the near future. He talks about what's going to happen, potentially. He says there's going to be separation between themselves and God if they sin. He says the, the one who sins, the one who violates this covenant that God desires to have with them is going to, to, be, to be removed from God. They're going to serve the gods of the nation, it says in verse 18. Instead, in verse 18, it says he's going to hear the words of the sworn covenant, but he's going to bless himself. So instead of blessing God, he's going to bless himself. I'm going to be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. And this will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him. The anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man. And the curses written in the, this book will settle upon him. The Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. The Lord will single him out from all the tribes of Israel for calamity in abundance with all the, the curses of the covenant written in this book of the law. So there's going to be separation. Okay? And then you come down into verse 24 and something interesting is going to happen. Remember, at the beginning of the book of Deuteronomy, there is this hope. If the people knew God, and their hearts were right, they would love God, and as they loved God, they would obey him, and then they would experience blessing, okay? And that blessing would be a fulfillment of the covenant that was made with Abraham. Abraham, God, is told, God tells Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and, and what else? You're going to bless the nations. And so in Deuteronomy, Moses is saying, look, you're going to go into this land, and if your heart is right before God, you love him, you're going to know him, you're going to obey him, and then you're going to experience blessing. And as you experience blessing, what's going to happen? The nations around you, you're, you're placed in this special place, the nations around you are going to see this, and they're going to say, wow, God is an amazing God. But here in Deuteronomy 29, we see that the reverse is going to take place. Israel is going to be an example to the nations, but not a good example, a bad example. The nations are going to look at their disobedience. They're going to see how God separates himself from his people and how he scatters them among the nations. And the nations are going to say, these people disobeyed God. And then you come to verse 29 of the end of the chapter. And Moses says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever and ever, that we may do all the words of this law. There have been some tensions in the book of Deuteronomy, some, some secret things, some things about God's sovereignty and about how he works with his people and how he's going to bring them into the land and, and all sorts of things that the people aren't, aren't let into. Like the, God doesn't tell them all the things that he's going to do and how he's going to bring all these things about. But he says, this is what you're supposed to do, and, and now you need to walk in obedience. And you can imagine being an Israelite here, and Moses says this thing, you kind of raise your hand, you say, hold on, wait a minute, Moses, if in, if in verse 4, they wouldn't, have, they wouldn't have said verse 4, but you know, if, if, if I need a heart change to walk in obedience to God, and, and my heart hasn't been changed yet, I kind of feel like I'm off the hook. Is, it, is anyone else with me? You guys, you guys see that contract? No? Well, I, you know, I do, says this Israelite. 
If, if my heart needs to change and my heart hasn't changed, God has to change my heart, I think I'm not responsible. This is what Moses says in, in verse 29. He says, look, the secret things belong to the Lord. How God's sovereignty and man's responsibility and those things work, secret things. But, but you've been given this law. And now your responsibility before God is, is to walk in obedience to it. Oftentimes, when we come to a place where we find ourselves separated from God, our, our temptation our temptation is, is to point fingers, right? Yeah, you know, I, I struggle with anger, but my dad struggled with anger, or my mom struggled with anger, so I, I kind of learned it, you know? It's just one of, it's part of my personality because of these people. I can't, I can't really help it. Yeah, I, I struggle with lust, but man, I, I live in a sexualized culture, and you know, if I it's part of the culture in which I live, and that's, that's just kind of how things are. Or I struggle with pride, but, you know, I'm just a really talented individual. I mean, so what am I supposed to do, right? You know? Oftentimes, our temptation is, is to find ourselves in a circumstance in which there's been sin and to point fingers. Remember the, in the book of Haggai, the people are living and, and things are not going well it describes how they, they put money in a bag with holes, and, and things are just kind of not going well. And Haggai says, look, consider your ways. P- put your heart before God and recognize your own sin, the prophet Haggai says. Stop making excuses. And, and brothers and sisters, I want to say this very lovingly. This morning, if you find yourself in a situation in life where things are not going well, where you find yourself not with life not going the way that life needs to be in order to experience the fullness of God's blessing, our proper response is not to make excuses, but to mourn sin if, if sin is the root cause of those things. In other words, I'm not talking about how others have kind of made me sin. You know, this, my boss is a real jerk, so of course I struggle with anger. My, my children don't respect me the way that I need to, so of course I'm not discipling them the way that I need to. I'm not talking about external forces of, of stress and being tired and all these things. Now, I'm not saying those things don't factor into our, our struggle in a fallen world, but as I look at my sin and I look at the reality of sin, I'm not looking at, at anything except my own heart and saying, God, I am experiencing sorrow because of how I have sinned against you. As we find ourselves in places where bad things are taking place as a result of sin, we begin by saying, I'm, I experience sorrow. I'm, I'm mourning. I'm not just sad. I don't feel sad about the, the consequences. I'm, I'm mourning the separation. I'm, I'm sorrowful about the separation that exists between me and God. Which, which brings us to the second thing I want us to think about this morning. No, number two, we must repent of our sin by God's grace, right? We must repent of our sin by God's grace. Now, there are a lot of passages that talk about repentance, and, and we could look at other passages this morning, but I want to just focus on this process of repentance that we see here in Deuteronomy. And again, what we see as we look at the totality of what Scripture says about repentance is just like you can't enter into a relationship with God apart from repentance, 
You also can't continue in relationship with God apart from repentance. Now, there's kind of three things that I want you to notice about the repentance that takes place here in chapter 30. The first thing I want you to notice is that there's a a coming to your senses. A coming to your senses. Look what it says in verse 1 of chapter 30. It says, and when all these things come upon you, the, the blessings and the curses, the, the blessing and the curse which I've set before you. So there, there's going to be this time where you're carried away because of, of your sin. And as you're in exile, as you're experiencing the consequences of sin, you're going to come to your senses. You're going to recognize, oh yeah, this this exile that I'm, I'm, that I'm experiencing right now, this separation from God in, in the land, is exactly what God said would happen. God said that if I walked in disobedience to him, I'd be removed from the land, and, and here I am. Huh. He says, he says when I've, I've said these before, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you. And so there's this, there's this mental awareness of, of why they are where they are. There's a coming to this, your senses. And sin is insanity, right? Disobedience to God is, is, is insane. It's, it's foolish. We see the same idea described by Jesus in Luke 15. Remember the story of the prodigal son or of the, the forgiving father? And it talks about this, this son. And as you read the story of this son you realize this, this young man is, is foolish. What he does makes no sense, like all sin. It's, it's insanity. It says the younger son comes to his father, and this would have been even more crazy uh, from the, for the first century reader. Father, give me a share of the property that's coming to me. And so the father divides the property between his sons. The son acts in a crazy, foolish manner. It says he gathers everything. He goes into a journey, and there he squanders everything in reckless living. He spends everything. And there's a famine. He gets in need, and he begins to feed pigs. And and what happens as he finds himself surrounded by pigs in in the slop there? what, What happens? Jesus says, he comes to himself. He comes to his senses. There's this mental awareness like, what have I done? Brothers and sisters, repentance begins with with coming to our senses. We we look at at ourselves and we say, "What what have I done? I'm on this road and I I look ahead and, and I realize, oh, this ends in disaster. This, this road ends in death. There, there's no joy here. I, I'm living a life of bitterness. And, and I'm, 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 I'm committed to my bitterness. And then I look, oh, wait a minute. This is where bitterness leads. I, I'm committed to, to my pride. And, and I, I'm a very proud person. I'm not receiving the counsel of others. And I'm, I, it's hurting my relationships with others. And I go, oh, wait a minute. This is, this is uh, theologically stupid. This is foolish. This is crazy. I'm engaged in, in lust and in the pursuit of the flesh, and, and I, I, I'm, I'm committed to that. And then I, I look and I say, oh, wait, what am I doing? 
And I look over here and I see this path, and I see that this path, the path of obedience to God, is a path of, of joy. God in his grace, brothers and sisters, God in his grace is not going to allow his children to experience joy on the path of disobedience. And many of you this morning are on this path of disobedience and you, you are not experiencing joy and that is part of God's abundant grace to you. God is calling you to, to come to your senses. There's also here, there's, there's also a Returning to God. So they're coming to senses and returning to God. It says here that uh, they, verse 2, return to the Lord your God, you and your children. So what's happening there is they say, okay, this is, this is the path of disobedience and, and there's no joy here. I, there, there's, there's joy in God, so I'm going to, I'm going to not walk this path anymore. I'm, I'm going to, to come to God. I'm going to cling to Him. For those of us who are part of the new covenant, we recognize that we're, we're coming to God through our faith in Jesus Christ. We're, we're turning to Him and clinging to Him. That's what God calls us to do. It's not work. We don't say, okay, these, these are the five things I'm going to do to turn to God. No, it's, it's simply saying, okay, I mentally understand this is sin, this is insanity, and now I'm now in my heart, in my mind, I'm, my, my soul, I'm, I'm turning to God, trusting him, clinging to him. And then he says, and I think this is kind of a subcategory of turning to God, he says, and you, you obey him, you listen to his voice, you obey his voice. It says the, the last part of verse 2, in all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul. Now what I, what I believe that's saying is, in our hearts, as we recognize the path that we're on is a path of sorrow, we say, okay, I'm, I'm committed to bitterness. Oh, that's where that leads. This is foolish. This is crazy. I've come to my senses. I'm, God, there's, there's joy in you. And I, as I do that, I'm committing to obey you, to walk in your path instead. It doesn't mean that I say, okay, once I've walked this path for five days or six days or six years, then I've been repentant. No, it means that that's not what repentance is. Repentance is not a work. It's turning to God. I'm trusting him and I'm, I'm committing to obedience. What I do think it means is this. Let's say that there are 10 things that God brings to my mind, 10 areas that are just troubling as I sit down and think about how I've walked in disobedience to God. And I say, God, I, I, I'm so sorry about these things, and eight of them I'm done with. Two of them we'll talk about later. That's not repentance. Repentance is me saying, God, I'm grieved over the sin and, and, it, and it's affected me and it's insanity and I don't want to do it anymore. And, and, and God, only you can help me. Please, I'm clinging to you and I'm committing to you that by your grace I will walk in obedience to you in all your ways and turn from all these things. That's repentance. Coming to my senses, turning to God, clinging to him, and committing to obedience. It's not just mouthing the words, I'm sorry, it's, it's a commitment to, to turn from these things. And I would argue, my, my, my belief would be that many of us are not experiencing the relationship with God we need to because we have not been serious about repentance. We haven't thought carefully about those areas in our life that we need to ask for God's forgiveness in and turn from specifically as we turn to him and seek his forgiveness. He said, well, Daniel, uh, what do I do then? How can I, how can I know whether or not I'm, I'm truly experiencing forgiveness? And 
let me, um, let me give you some, some fruit that should be present in the life of the repentant person. Now, in fact, you can turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 7. And now, again, I want to be clear, okay? These, these things I'm going to describe to you are not repentance. It's not like you do these things in order to be repentant. These are things that are going to be true in the heart that's, that's, that's repentant. So yeah, I've repented, and now these things are going to be true of my life. Now, if I don't see these things, it doesn't mean I focus on these things. It means, okay, hold on, I've got to turn back. God, I'm going to turn from this, turn to you, place my faith in you, and now I, I need to see this fruit. Let, let, me, let me give you an example here. 2 Corinthians 7, Paul says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And so he's describing here a person who feels sorry about their sin. And some people feel sorry about their sin, and it's just a worldly sorrow, and it causes them to continue in sin, maybe a different sin. Maybe they've committed this, the sin of, of lust, and they said, boy, I'm, I'm so sad about lust. I'm not going to ever uh, manifest lust through this action again. I'm no more adultery or pornography or whatever it is. And, and yet they don't deal with the root issue of, of pride or whatever it is. And so they, they just kind of, it, that pride manifests itself in a different area. They feel really bad, kind of change a little bit of behavior, but the heart hasn't changed. Not true repentance. They're sad, but it's a worldly sadness. He says, but godly grief, if, if you're, if you're tr- grieving with a, a grief that comes from God, there's going to be repentance. And then he talks about the fruit of repentance. What happens in the life of a person whose heart has truly come to their senses, they've, they've clung to God, and now they're committing to obedience. Here's what happens in that heart. He says there's earnestness, verse 11. It's, it's earnestness that this godly grief has produced in you, eagerness to clear yourselves, indignation, fear, longing, zeal, punishment. Let me, let me kind of talk through those words with you this morning. You can write down these words if it might help you to ask yourself, okay, am I truly repentant? Again, the first word is, is eager, eagerness. Is there transparent, I'm sorry, earnestness. Is, am I earnest in my repentance? Is there transparency? As I, as I come to be aware of my sin and I commit obe- to be obedient to God, in the heart of the person who's truly repentant, there's, there's earnestness. There's transparency with those who are around them. Secret repentance is not true repentance. I'm coming to people and I say, look, I have, I have wronged you and I need your forgiveness. And, and I'm, I'm asking, I'm pleading with you for it. I'm not hiding my sin any longer. I'm not concealing it. I'm, now, I'm careful about it. I'm not standing up on Sunday morning and saying, look, I'd like everyone to know, here's the eight things I did this last week. But there's, there's, as I go to the people that I've wronged, the people that I've uh, unintentionally wronged or intentionally wronged, I'm, I'm saying, look, this is, this is what I've done. And this was insane. I, I don't know why I did this except to say that my heart is a heart of wickedness apart from God. I'm asking for his forgiveness, and I'm asking for your forgiveness as well. Then there's eagerness. That's, so the first word would be earnest or earnestness. The second word would be eagerness. I'm, I'm, I want to clear myself. I want to tell people how I've wronged them, and I want them to hold me accountable. There's a desire for transparency. And if you have a heart that you ask someone to forgive you, and they say, yes, I forgive you, and then they begin to ask you questions later on about it, you say, look, I, I asked for forgiveness. Come on, back off. That's a warning sign. There's an eagerness, not truly repentant heart, to, to clear yourself. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're asking me those questions. A third word is the word indignation. This is another fruit in the heart 
of the repentant person. Now, here in 2 Corinthians 7, it probably refers to the person who committed the sin, that the people are supposed to be indignant against that person. But I think it can also refer to us as we find sin in ourselves. We, we look at ourselves and we, we find this sin and we say, what in the world is this sin doing here? You think about Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, he talks about the issue of immorality and there's this, this shock that a person who's a member of the body of Christ would participate in an immorality. He says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And so the repentant person encounters sin in their life, and the, there's just this indig- indignation. What in the world is this sin doing in my life? There's fear. There's fear. It's another word here in terms of fruit. Right now, I'm preparing for our next series through the book of Galatians. And you come to Galatians 5, and Paul talks about this list of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And then he says these sobering words, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you look at that list, you say, okay, sexual morality, that... I'm clear on that one. And then it comes to anger. Oh, oh dear. And then it's uh, dissensions and gossip and all these things. Like, oh, there's no sin that's, 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 especially when it says things like these, there's no sin left off the list. When I encounter sin in my life, there's, there's fear. The person who continues to practice these things, the person whose lifestyle is characterized by these, these things, doesn't inherit the kingdom of God. I find this in my life, and there's fear. There's longing, another word here. There's, I, I want to be free of this. There's zeal, another word. I'm going to do what it takes. I'm going to continue to, to, to beseech God to remove this from me. There's, there's punishment, last word there, punishment. It's, I'm going to put things in place to eradicate sin. Here's the last principle I want us to think about this morning. We must continue to love God and obey him by faith. We must continue to love God and obey him by faith. As you go through the end of, of chapter 30, Moses puts before the people the, the choice of, of life and death. He says in verse 15, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. Repentance is not a one-time event God doesn't want penance. He's not saying, okay, I want you to do enough things. I want you to do enough things and show me that you're sorry enough. Then we can talk about this, this restoration relationship. No, God says, I, I, want, I want a relationship with you. And I've already done everything necessary for us to be in relationship with one another. And your, your eternal destiny, if you place your faith in my son, Jesus Christ, if you repented of your sins and trusted in him as Lord and Savior, your eternal destiny is, is secure. But if it's true that you're a person whose heart has been transformed by the gospel, you're going to continue to live by faith. You're going to continue to live in a state of humble repentance. And repentance is not some punishment that God is, 
has designed to make us just feel really bad and miserable in life. No, repentance is a means of God's grace. It's a means of his grace because it causes us to look at sin and say, okay, I'm going to consciously recognize this sin. I'm going to name it as sin. And I'm not going to excuse it. I'm going to mourn over it. And by God's grace, I'm going to acknowledge that this sin is not equal to the value, the infinite value of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to turn from it and worship Jesus. And brothers and sisters, that process of repentance is not punishment, but grace. It's a gracious God allowing us to acknowledge his worth and his value. And far from ending our life in a place of separation, a place where a home has been, the home of our heart has been picked up and blown into a billion pieces and scattered, by God's grace, he continues to restore us. We're not some perfect building that gets blown up and then we have to put together. We are already a building scattered in a billion different places, and God, in his infinite graces, reaches as far as the heavens to bring us, to restore us, to cause us to live in right relationship with him through faith in his son, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, by your grace, save us. Continue to restore us. Help us to continue to trust in your son, Jesus, and see his infinite value and worth. We pray this in his name. Amen.